Hey friends, Brett from Trogonomics. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope you're having an incredible day. Well, here we go. We're jumping into our last episode of season two. Appreciate all the time you've spent listening and joining us for these conversations. Uh, we've walked our way through quite a few different savings arenas, uh, filling up those champagne glasses of savings that Trog likes to talk about. So as we have worked our way through the season, we've kind of gotten ourselves into a nice healthy place and now we're at the end of the race, the end of the savings race, so to speak. And we're going to talk about what do you do at the end of the line when you've got your short-term emergency fund taken care of, you've got your medium-term projects planned out and on track, and you've got your long-term retirement savings lined up. Um, what do you do then? It's a wonderful place to be. It's a place we all strive to be. It takes a long time to get there. But once you're there, how do you make the most of that opportunity and, and how do you fill up that champagne glass of savings uh, in an appropriate way. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the relationship that Trog and I each uniquely have with money. We're going to talk about the process that he would take, some of the some of the opportunities out there for this style of savings. And uh, we're going to have a nice little conversation about some crypto investing, speculating, as Trog likes to put it. So thanks again for joining us. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time. I've got a confession for you. I feel um, I got I got to get this off my chest. All right, I'm, I'm listening. Okay, uh, you and I talk. We've talked for years about you know financial, money, economy. In the last year, we've recorded it. <laughs> we've done a lot more of it. We've had a bit of more structure to it. And you've been a sound advisor. You've been a thoughtful influencer in my life. And you've often helped me navigate my uh, attraction to risk, um, my fear of missing out, my, my firm belief that I can win. You've helped me come back from that a little bit, which I, you know, I think everybody needs one of those friends. By the way, I must be a riot to hang out with. <laughs> uh, amazing, amazing person to hang out with. Uh, but I, I have a confession. I had a relapse. Um, I, let, let's just say it was a Sunday afternoon. I took a peek at Twitter. I saw a tweet from an individual I don't know. Uh, I have no idea why I follow this person. And this person suggested that I buy some uh, cryptocurrency, um, specifically one called, uh, Dogecoin, Dogecoin. Okay. Uh, so naturally I did. Um, you know, I didn't buy that index fund that you mentioned. Um, I didn't put it in a uh, Roth IRA, like you mentioned. I, I took uh, just a small amount of money and I thought, you know what, I'm going to get on board. And I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm not going to tell anybody. And then, and this, this, uh, this $50 that I transferred over just to kind of get a taste, just to get in the game, just to see, you know, I didn't want to risk too much, but I wanted to just, you know, wanted a seat at the table. Well, a few other people saw that tweet um, or maybe that tweet was a domino from another tweet. And um, well, now that $50 is worth about 106. <laughs> so naturally I start. Yeah. Thank you. I started, this was, you know, over a course of a couple of weeks. So naturally I told everybody that would listen 
uh, <laughs> including my wife and her reaction, which originally I didn't say anything about it because it was just 50. It was, you know, I wasn't going to, you know, be irresponsible. And I certainly didn't want her to be mad at me. Her response was, why only 50? <laughs> <laughs> Fair response. Um, so here I am um, talking to you and I'm a cryptocurrency trader. <laughs> All right. So I know that we've, we've differed on this for a while. You're, you're more of an individual stock guy. Uh, well, more, way more than I am. Yeah. Are you confessing because did you, did you do a different kind of analysis on this if, versus like a, a company stock that you would have invested in? Is that, was the process well, different? Um, like the tactical process or my thought process? I think more about your thought process. Yeah. First. So the, the thought process, you know, typically when I invest in singular stocks or historically, it's been brands that I know a lot about. So, okay. you know, being a retailer for a long time, I knew a few manufacturing companies, a, sh- a few service companies that were just excellent at what they do um, and innovative and industry leading. And I felt like that's the research I needed to do. Um, I'll save my investment in Manchester United uh, from that comment more because it was like, hey, I own a piece of Manchester United. <laughs> um, that was usually the poorest performer. I've since sold that. (laughs) Um, This case was, I I would argue it was years of small talking points, either around me at at work or with friends or whatever, or just in the news or on Twitter, whatever it was, just, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts. It was just over and over. And then for whatever reason, this one was my tipping point. And I thought to myself that, in that moment, when I saw that tweet, I had a moment of reflection when I thought about when Bitcoin several years ago kind of spiked up to about 20K. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you know, it rescinded down to, I think, three-ish. And it's obviously since grown up to, I think, it, as we speak, is maybe in the 40s. Um, but it brought me back to that, like, that's a pretty good ride. <laughs> you know, a couple <laughs> of years, somebody probably made some good money there. I thought I reflected on a conversation I had with a, um, a work, uh, peer, uh, who had, who's a little bit older, has some, some kids getting ready for college and, and the high, high school age kids had asked about maybe doing some investing in Bitcoin, uh, over the past few years. And I started thinking like, look, people are, people are doing it. Let's get in. Don't be afraid. So I got in, I got in. It, I will say it was, it was not the type of singular stock purchase where I'm like, I, I, I know, I know I'm yeah. on the inside. I know, you know, not, not inside. Like I know something that you don't know, but I just know the brand or I know the product. Right. I don't know anything about cryptocurrency. I don't know how to spend it. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know what these crypto mines are, but I know that <laughs> my $50 is now worth a hundred and whatever, $2. It's probably yeah, like 67 yeah. right now. And in five minutes, it'll be worth 82. Well, you know, I, um, so I that, asked, that was my, it was more emotional. Yeah. Too. And I asked, you know, just so the, I think there's a, there's a distinction that, that I think is a good one for people to think about, which is the difference between investing and speculation. And so, you know, Clearly, what I hear you I saying is, yeah, when you, you know, when you buy your individual stocks, um, you're, you're thinking about 
company performance, profit margins in the future, trajectory of growth, competitors in the market. You know, that's that's an investment decision. You're making a, right. a bet on you can think about it as a bet, but it's it's an informed bet on the profitability of that company in their space. Yeah. Whereas speculation just means I just hope that some I can sell this for a higher price to someone else who's willing to buy it at some point later. I don't know anything about like the fundamentals of what's going on, but as long as somebody's willing to pay me more tomorrow, I'm happy to buy it today. That's speculation. So I think you just nailed it. That's me right there. <laughs> you know, there was, there was no, it was just like, I got to get in the game. I got to get in the game. Right. And had I lost all of that money, I wouldn't be telling you this right now. I would potentially I think, you know, just be ashamed. And, but kudos to you for limiting you know, for limiting the the investment, right? So you wanted to get a taste of it. You want to see what it was like, what that roller coaster feels like, but you did it with an amount of money that you were willing to lose. And I think, you know, Certainly. anytime you think about speculation, that's that's obviously a responsible approach. Um, there, there's a component of the amount of money I was willing to lose and confess to my wife. Yeah, yeah. As no, well, no. <laughs> you know, those the, are, the yeah, public. Those kind of, um, yeah, those kinds of costs are real too. Um, yeah. So tactically then, I mean, I've never, I've never bought crypto. Like where did, where did you do? I don't know how you do this. Yeah. Well, as it turns out, it's pretty easy. Uh, and, and since I have made the purchase, um, I've found lots of other ways to, to use it, um, which I haven't, but I've, it's apparently there's a something following me around the internet that knows that I have cryptocurrency. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I went to the, I went to the uh, iPhone app store, um, downloaded a little app called Robinhood. I don't know if you've heard of that. You know, I feel like I've heard some headlines recently about, <laughs> about Robinhood. Spent a good chunk of my life in the Bay Area and had a, had a store in Soma, which is kind of where a lot of these young tech startup unicorns uh, live. And so the, the Robinhood logo and the Robinhood name had been in my head for a very long time, but I'd never had interest or the, the tweet that pushed me over the limit hadn't existed yet. So <laughs> I rolled over to Robinhood, even though I had um, an account with another brokerage that, that didn't sell, it sold stocks or didn't manage crypto, it managed stocks. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie, Chog, it was pretty easy. I bet. It was pretty yeah. easy. Did it all on the phone. Um, a lot of stuff just linked right up and then boom. I got uh, 700 and some Doja coins. <laughs> and then I bought uh, a teensy, teensy, tiny fraction of a Bitcoin, I think somewhere in the uh, hundred of thousandth of uh, a coin. Uh, so, yeah, it was pretty easy. Um, well, yeah. So, you know, that I have not used Robinhood firsthand as we, we joked earlier, they've definitely been in the news. Um, but, you know, I think folks that are listening to, you know, financially related podcasts, personal finance podcasts are, you know, probably thinking like, Oh, what, what are some of these new apps? Like what, where should I be putting my money? Should I be using these? Um, yeah. And, you know, my impression is that Robinhood is um, in some ways, it's an extreme version of what's been happening kind of in this, in this marketplace over the last 20, 30 years, which is, you know, retail investors like you and me with no, you know, no seat on wall street, no brokerage license, um, getting a lot more information, getting extremely low cost, you know, access to low cost trades, 
to the point that I, I mean, I think Robinhood you can basically trade for free, right? They're not charging you a transaction price when you do it. You know, um, initially I would say, yeah, no, no transaction fees, um, no fee to sign up. Um, now, you know, you and I are grown adults. There's no such thing as free. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know when, where, or how, but I, I'm sure there is, uh, there is something there, but, um, yes, there's no, there's no trading fee, which in my other account, there was, I not sure what it is now. I'm sure it's been reduced, but it, it was a $10 or $9.99 a trade or something like that. That was kind of the industry yeah. standard for a while. Yeah. So, you know, you got to make sure you're buying, you know, enough to amortize that uh, with Robinhood, you know, you can buy a hundredth of a thousandth of a share of something and it's all, you know, it's the same price. So, yeah, it's amazing. You know, even in our, I guess, even in our own adult investing lives, you know, back the last time I remember day trading being a big thing, you know, in that late nineties, kind of early two thousands, um, you know, these day traders were still paying, like you said, seven, nine bucks a pop. And now it's, now it's zero. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think in a lot of ways, you know, an app like Robinhood, in some ways, those are really good, right? Lower, lower costs to use an investor, more information. My impression is that Robinhood also brings in um, on the information side that there's kind of a social media kind of side to it. I don't, am I right there where you can kind of like see what people are chatting about within the app? Is that um, not that I have seen, uh, like a chat feature the way that maybe a Twitter would. It's very social media like in that it's very simple. Um, okay. It's very direct and obvious. You know, when I look at the website, when I first looked at the website, I was kind of like expecting what I see with my brokerage account, which is tons of graphs and data and charts and, you know, all the line items. Um, it's very simple to use. Robinhood is. Um, it's very clean, but I, I would say it, it basically gets to the point. It's okay. what's the price? What was the price when you bought it? What's your return? Um, it you know it's green if it's up. It's red if it's down. It's pink and yellow if it's kind of in the middle. Um, there is a component of the community on there, but it, it's not in the sense of like it's not creating heat. Got it. The okay. heat is on a is on an, on other platforms right? <laughs> yeah. like in this reddit case or. twitter reddit or twitter where it's just right, like right. hey brett um you know just so you know dogecoin's about to take off <laughs> yeah yeah well and i think so yeah that's good i mean I, when i'm if i'm thinking about a new platform like this and I'm, I'm kind of doing my research and figuring out like is this something i should be thinking about again as an economist i'm always thinking about cost benefit right so right as we said like the nice thing about Robinhood, the costs are low what is, what is it bringing to me? What is it incentivizing me to do? Like, what's the benefit that they're, that they're offering and it's low cost and it sounds like it's set up so you can trade easily. Right. So they, they want you to be able to, to move in and out of positions in a very efficient way, Uh, easy to use cheap personally, again, as someone who doesn't trade that benefit doesn't, do anything for me personally. Right. Um, but if, you know, if I had a strategy that involved, you know, individual stock picking or momentum trading or, you know, some other algorithmic strategy that was, that was based at least a little bit on a speculative bet, then, you know, maybe that would be a good app to use. (laughs) So, but, you know, I always like to think about like, what am, what am I going to get out of this and what's, what's it going to cost me, you know, at the margin. So, okay. Yeah. Okay, Chuck, hang on, hang on one sec. Let me, let me just, 
let, let, let's just get a little clarification here because we're talking about, you know, a portfolio of investment tools, not just of investments, right? But we're talking about Robinhood, which essentially is free trading, but we're talking about a traditional market account where maybe you're being charged you know, X amount of dollars per trade. Uh, you mentioned basis point. Uh, just walk me through a little bit of, you know, how, how, how am I financially paying for some of these tools? And how did you come to the decision that it wasn't worth it? Yeah, no, good point. And we, we should probably back up here. So generally, there's three different ways you end up paying for investing opportunities. Um, that can be just a flat fee, right? So I pay X dollars a month, either to have access to a software or to have access to a person to talk to. So mm -hmm. there can be just that flat fee, doesn't matter how much you're trading, doesn't matter how much money you're putting in, you know, it's X dollars a month. Then there's the cost per trade approach. So we've, that's what, you know, we talked about, you know, back in day trading volume one, it was 10 bucks a trade. Now it's yeah. zero. So that's yeah. the Robin hood model. Every time you buy, sell, you're going to, you know, theoretically you're paying a price it might be mm -hmm. zero. It might be higher. Mm -hmm. The third option is uh, more of like a called assets under management, but it's basically a percentage of the money you're investing. So that's uh, a lot of brokerages that sell mutual funds. That's how my impression, at least that's how definitely how Betterment was doing. My, my sense is that other robo advisors like Wealthfront or Schwab, what they'll do is they'll charge you. Luckily now it's usually a fraction of a percent of the money you have invested. And then that comes yeah. out either monthly or annually. Gotcha. So it's based off of your, your basket of goods and you're just getting almost like a tax. Right. Right. Gotcha. And a lot of them, I, I know like what Betterment did is they had a, a tiered structure where if you, when you were starting and you had a little bit less money, the, the basis rate, the, the rate they would charge you was a little bit higher, but the, as your portfolio grew, the rate came down, but, but obviously right. the absolute dollars were going up. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> it's funny how math works like that. Right. Right. <laughs> Cool. So let, let's um, let's kind of look forward into, you know, these investment tools. Um, you know, I feel like, you know, just anecdotally, when I was a kid, I didn't have the ability to, you know, or a teenager, I didn't have the ability to kind of be in the stock market. Although, you know, I'd open up the newspaper and I would see, you know, the end of day cost for things, you know, brands that I was interested in or things that were, you know, kids were talking about at school. And you know, you'd have to call somebody that calls something. You'd have to ask your parents and it, it, it just wasn't real. Right. But now there's everything's on your cell phone. Everything's on your on your laptop. And, you know, what else is out there? Like, obviously, we can do a little bit of trading. There, there seems to be some some good disruption happening in, in this sense. Yeah. Um, so so you know, we've talked about, a little bit. Yeah. We talked about some of the, the trading and the um, the robo advisors. I mean, there are other ones out there that are really picking up on uh, the behavioral economics or the psychology of money. You know, what they're trying to do is in some ways kind of give you a nudge to put some money away. And that, that can be making it, again, easy, making it entertaining, making it something you don't have to think that much about. Um, so, I, in fact, I think you, you've used one of these. I think we've talked once about um, when we talked about saving for kids, I think you mentioned to me, I can't remember if it was on a podcast or if it was after, but that the app Acorns has a way to yep. kind of set aside some money for kids savings. And my understanding is that they, this is one of those where you set it and forget it. Like you don't even have to think about how much money you're putting in. It basically rounds up transactions. Is that right? That's right. Yep. It's called Acorns early. 
Um, and then there's Acorns, which is essentially you link it to your debit card or credit card. Every time you make a purchase, it just rounds up to the dollar. And then you can also put in an X amount per week. So, you know, we throw in five, 10 bucks or something like that a week. But then there's a, a portion of it that I felt mimicked your, the bank of Trogdon that you, when you're teaching your kids about long-term savings. And essentially, you know, you link it to your kids and then, you know, when they turn 18, they have access to a little bit of a nest egg, like, like what you're doing. Yeah. So like, I, I don't think that existed, that concept existed short of do it yourself. Uh, right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, when I heard about acorns again, I, I have not used it, but it, it sounded like the, like a newfangled version of a penny jar, right. Where you, for would, sure. <laughs> you just, yeah. that stuff that used to build up in our, in our cars, <laughs> you know, after we would go to the drive-through or whatever, Taco Cabana, like now you can actually <laughs> invest that change. Shout out to Taco Cabana. <laughs> Respect. <laughs> yeah. You know, you get home at the end of the night, you empty your pockets, you throw it in a jar. And that's, that's acorns. But now here you've got, you know, years, it's micro investing. There's a bit of an interest factor to it. Let, let me ask you this. So, uh, you know, you're looking at something like acorns where you've got this rounding up concept linked to your, you know, your spending. You've got Betterment, um, robo investing. You've got, you know, you've got the Schwab, got the Robinhood. Let, let me ask you two questions. What's the elevator pitch when these companies are, you know, maybe Schwab's 50 years deep, but what's the elevator pitch when they're, when they're seeking funding and they have these ideas? And then what's the, the follow-up question, which I imagine the investors are asking, how do you make money? Yeah. So my impression of a lot of these is the elevator pitch is some combination of we're going to save our customers money or time. So we're either going to charge them less to, to do the trades they want to do, or we're going to save them time and having to figure out how to pick across all these different investments. And we're just, we're going to give them a, you know, data-driven, credible solution that they don't have to spend any, any time worrying about. So how do they make their money? Part of it is that managing, especially an index fund where there's not buy and sell decisions are almost by definition automated. You're just trying to match a, a predefined index. So you don't need to hire a team of expert, you know, PhD financial economists to figure out, should I be buying and selling this trade? You know, so the cost of running those types of funds are actually lower. So there is, they're able to charge a lower price because they've, they're actually just, it's a lower cost for them to do it. So their margins might still be able to make, be profitable, but it look, you know, to us, it's actually much cheaper. Other ways, um, you know, my impression, you know, my understanding is that some of them like, like Robin Hood, potentially acorns. It's a little bit of like a Facebook model. I think we're all coming to terms now knowing that, okay, well, yeah, Google doesn't charge me. Facebook doesn't charge me, but what they're doing is they're selling my data. So there's a, there's a secondary market behind the scenes. My impression is that, or I would guess at least that that's probably happening with some of these, in, these trading apps where, you know, a, or Robinhood's able to tell, uh, you know, other large investors, Hey, you know, we've got this platform, it's got X million users on it. We can see what they're buying and selling. Would you be interested in that data, <laughs> uh, you know, in, in real time? Again, I don't know exactly what those conversations are like, but given other kinds of platforms where it's zero entry costs for us, there's probably something they're making money on. It could be bid ask spreads, right? So that negotiation that happens that we don't see, but this is like where the big traders on the, you know, the guys on the floor with the phones, um, they could be making a little bit of margin there and they're just trying to make it up on volume with millions and millions of trades. You're right. They're going to be making money somewhere. Let's look into the future. Are we just getting started? 
is are we starting to round it out? You know, there was a there was a time when there was dozens of search engines, and people were kind of experimenting with everything. And now there's Google. There were times where there were dozens of you know cell phone opportunities and, and smartphone opportunities. And there's kind of three, right? For lack of a better you know argument, what what types of financial coaching or financial simplification investing, you know, what types of tools here are, are we on the upswing? Is there going to be 50,000 more of these in our app store? Is there going to be fewer? Is, is, are some things kind of pie in the sky? Like, eh, that's great, but is it really going to work? What, what, what's your take on, on, uh, on this? I, I guess I'll segment, I'll think about a couple different markets here. So I think on the, on the pure investing side, just access to publicly traded stocks and bonds, Again, the macro trend is democratization. So more access, more information, lower cost. I'd be, you know, I can't, I can't see that turning around and going the other direction with the caveat that there's always a tension as these markets get opened up to more and more people. And those people have less experience, you know, less knowledge, less resources to go do all the digging and, and making sure that you know, company profit and loss statements make sense and those kind of things. There is, um, you know, the danger that some people get taken advantage of. Um, and so I think, especially after the, you know, the latest kind of GameStop, Robinhood kind of thing, we've got a lot of trader, new people into the market, they're trading and you can lose money, especially if you're doing it on margin, which means you're basically borrowing money to trade, which is also something else you can do on Robinhood. So <laughs> there will be a debate about how much the retail investor needs protection from themselves or mm-hmm. from uh, you know professionals in the market that are on the other side of these trades. I think that's the tension is where do we decide, you know, which balance which way are we leaning in this balance? Is it, is it more towards democratization, let people have the access that, and let them make their own decisions versus do we need some protections for the quote unquote little guy in the market who may not have the same kind of resources as some of the other traders in that market? So I, I don't know which way it's going to go, but that's going to be a debate for the next few years, I can guarantee you. Let me ask you a follow-up. In all seriousness, when has the little guy been protected? You're arguing that the next couple of years, we're going to decide how much the little guy needs protection from him or herself. So what, I, what, where, where are we in, in that world? You know, not to. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where um, are we? As you know, as much as I try to be data driven, I, I definitely have formed a solid opinion on this one, but I would argue that what Jack Bogle, who invented the index fund, did and has done for investors over the last 30, 40 years is the fact that we can go in and for very, very little money, make a purchase that buys a representation of thousands of stocks, the entire stock market, if you wanted, in the US. You can even buy the entire stock market in the world cheaply, and you can hold that for 15 to 20 years for very little carrying costs. I think that's where we should be focused in terms of the little guy wins when that's available to us. Before that existed, you know, when our grandparents were trying to invest, like you said before, this is like you had to know somebody who had to call a broker who had to, and it truly was like very limited in who could do that. But I think part of the benefit of the, of the mass low cost access to markets is that if done well, um, you can own the entire market and not have to, 
you don't have to beat professional traders at their game to win. So that's that's where I would like to see the little guys focus and less on trying to beat professional traders and algorithms to to win at retirement or college savings or, you know, those kind of things. Once again, you have circled me back and pointed <laughs> me in the direction of index funds when I just spent 30 minutes trying to get you to buy Bitcoin. <laughs> and here we are, Brett, just look at the index funds. You know, think, so, of the, think of the power that you would have as the owner of an index fund. <laughs> you could own the whole world. That's literally what you just said. <laughs> you could own a share of the whole world. I'm not going to take it back. It is possible I, to own. Don't take it back. Share of the whole world. This is why we talk. This is <laughs> this 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 is where my uh, the weight of my on my shoulders gets shifted around <laughs> when you say something like that. I may have said this before, but. There, I, I don't have any problem with taking a small bit of your assets and you know your the money that you're thinking about long term, and and playing around and trading. Um, I think I may have said this before. I'll repeat it, but you know my version of that would be to actually try to build a mathematical algorithm like that. Actually, that would be the thing that would get me interested enough to spend a couple weekends, you know, messing around with it. And the nice thing about, I mean, I think in the terms of taking a what I say a little bit of your money, you know one to five percent you know somewhere in there is that if it's gone fine but if it is a unicorn it might actually make a difference right if if that five percent turns into 10 or 15 that's awesome if i lose that five percent well you know i'll have to i'll have to save a little bit more work a couple more years but it's not the end of the world um so you kind of get in some sense you get the benefit of of flexing your muscles and you know can I, can I beat this game? Do I have the right hunch? It, you know, are my instincts good on this? Is my information good? Am I putting it together right? I can brag at the water cooler that my Dogecoin tripled in the last month. But at the same time, you're not, you're not going to be the guys that we're starting to hear about that are, you know, bet the entire retirement. And now they saw it go up and now they saw it come back down. And yeah. they've got, a, they're either maybe even not even back to square zero, square one, but maybe they're square zero or square negative one. So, you know, I'm fine with people doing this, just, you know. Well, you know, again, like your caveat of it's okay to experiment, it, your caveat is it's okay to experiment with money you can lose. Right. It's okay to experiment with or, or to be emotional with us in a safe space. Right, right. Now I'm going to circle back. So I, I said I was going Please. to segment your question Please. earlier. So, mm -hmm. you know, where do I see the future? So I think on the investment side, I think there's going to be a really strong debate about kind of access for the little guy versus protection for the little guy. I think on the on the kind of behavioral economics side, I think we'll I think that will get more and more sophisticated. This idea of th anything I can automate, right? I, anything I can I can take away um, the, the pain of making a decision, the, you know, the temptation for FOMO, if I, you know, anything I can do to automate that will, will help. And I, and I think that that's probably, again, as, as algorithms get better, as our, as our digital selves, we start getting a bigger picture of that. My guess is the acorns, I don't have a good prediction about what the next one was. I wish I did, but something like acorns that takes something that someone's doing already, right. Putting, most of us at this point are probably not using a lot of cash. We're using cards to buy stuff, but doing something that we're all used to seeing, which is that penny jar, right? Like, right. I don't really need this 15 cents. Now we, that can be put to work for us. Um, 
I think that is is still a growth area. Um, and I know that there are behavioral economists that have written, you know, really popular best-selling books that are working on apps like this and partnering with banks. And I'm kind of curious to see where it goes, but I, I think that's that's a growth industry. And I think for the most part, it's it's using it's benevolent in the sense that most people will be helped by it. I think the downside's a lot lower than than the kind of open trading that we're seeing in the other in the other space. I love that economics has a component of research and thought and attention to human psychology as it impacts money, because it, it's, um, you know, as a participant in the economy, it's very present um, and it, you know, makes us individuals, but also creates maybe points of your own personality that you can identify if you try and you work at it to take away some of the risk and also take away some of the fear, right? right? Like your addiction, my addiction to risk and my, you know, somebody else's fear of risk and kind of bring it to the middle. Right. I love that. That's real. Like, I don't think everyone understands that. Like economists think about the data, but they also think about the emotional impact leading to the data or the emotional reactions leading to the data, which is uh Exactly to your point, like that's where maybe the the future really lies. It's a good, healthy marriage of those two. Yep. And, you know, our field hasn't always been good at that, but I think we're getting better. <laughs> always room for improvement. That's a very uh, economist uh, answer. Always room for a little improvement. <laughs> right. Optimization. Awesome. Trog, always a pleasure. Uh, I appreciate you walking me back to the index fund uh, portion of the <laughs> the world that we live in. <laughs> You know, next getting, time, next time I want to hear your strategy for either uh, doubling down or leveraging out of this position you now <laughs> have in Dozier Coin. Well, I did some rough back of the, the envelope math. I know what my financial ex- exit strategy is that I've shared with you privately. I know what the Dogecoin valuation needs to be to get there. So <laughs> I'm, you know, right now I'm going to sit and wait. <laughs> yeah, all right. You're, you're long on Dogecoin. <laughs> you know, we'll see if we, if we get that, uh, that condo in the South of France off of my uh, $50 Dogecoin purchase, but it might be a long play. We'll see. (laughs) All right, Chog, always a pleasure. Good to talk to you, Brad. Appreciate the insight. We'll talk to you soon. Hey friends, Brett from Trogonomics, and thank you so much for listening to this episode. We had a great time recording it. I hope you enjoyed it and found it resourceful and useful. After listening, please head to the website for all the details and the resources and the information that you just heard in the episode, as well as past episodes and a bit more background on Trog and myself. The website is trogonomics.com, T-R-O-G. O-N as in Nancy, O-M as in Michael, I-C-S dot com, T-R-O-G-O-N-O-M-I-C-S dot com. You can also find us on social media at Trogonomics. Thanks again. Have a wonderful day, and we'll see you next time.